Uh, this is Skip Lockwood, and you're listening to Mets Musing. I was a pitcher, a relief pitcher, a closer with the New York Mets. I have a new book out called Inside Pitch, Mets Musing. Thank you very much. This, this is, is Len and Jeff from Baseball and, and Barbecue. And the one place to go for New York Mets news, past week game reviews, upcoming series previews, interviews, analysis, opinion, and, and what's, what's going, going down, down on the farm. farm. It's, it's Mets Musings with Gary Mack. So keep the faith, stay optimistic, and let's go Mets. Mets Musings with Gary Mack. Now it's time for some New York Mets baseball talk. Here's Gary Mack bringing you the latest news and analysis from Mets Nation and the world of baseball on another edition of Mets Musings. And hello and welcome to another edition of Mets Musings episode number 327. Hope everybody had a great week out there. Better week uh, than the Metsies, but I seem to say that every week lately. But uh, went on the road, eight games. They lost three out of four to the Brewers. Should have won three of those games, at least. Went to Atlanta. Split the four there, but should have swept Atlanta. They could have went 7-1 on this trip. The bullpen was disastrous, to say the least. The bullpen was just awful. Blew leads and didn't blow close leads. Six to two. Uh, forget four to two. Couple of run leads and the bullpen is not doing well right now. And you wish that uh, the starters could go longer because, boy, it's nerve wracking trying to get those guys in there the bullpen help so this is where we're at though with this team right now bullpen is very weak they keep bringing guys up we'll get into that a little bit more some of the guys that uh, came up and are now uh, with the Metsies but um I don't know, folks. It, it's uh, injuries are starting to mount now. We had Syndergaard, Mats, Flores joining Cespedes and uh, Frazier, and uh, who else did I miss? Well, of course, uh, David Wright and uh, Darno out for the season. It's just a very tough time in Metsland. And over the weekend, I finished uh, reading Davey Johnson's book, and I'm convinced by the way he talked that this team is poorly constructed. It's just not set up right. The bench is awful. Why Why is Jose Reyes still in there? Galorme goes four for nine, I think it was, in the doubleheader. Uh Three runs batted in, and the next night, Jose Reyes is back in the lineup. Why is Jose Reyes even on this team anymore? We need to rust the spot, folks. Philip Evans can do what he does. Luis Guillorme, who's hitting a little bit, can do what he does, and yet we keep putting in Jose Reyes. He's, he's got to go soon. So here's some of the moves the Mets have made to fortify the bullpen. bullpen. Guys have been going up and down like crazy. So um, let's see. The latest move was right-handed pitcher Tim Peterson, right-handed pitcher Scott Copeland, and left-handed pitcher Buddy Bauman have been called up from AAA Las Vegas. They were available last night in the bullpen. Uh, Peterson did get in. Pitched pretty good. Not great, but uh, gave up a home run, but got through two innings. One run. So didn't do too bad a job. To make room for both pitches on the MLB roster, Philip Evans and Jacob Rame were optioned to AAA. Previously, Noah Syndergaard was placed on a disabled list. 
to make room for Peterson and Copeland on the 40-man roster. Juan Lagares was placed on the 60-day disabled list, and left-handed pitcher P.J. Conlon was designated for assignment. And I'm very uh, confused about that move. P.J. Young, still young. He had a couple bad outings. Okay. But, boy, to designate him for assignment right away, that seemed a little harsh and a little rough, but you know, I guess they needed the room on the, the roster, and he was the one that had to go, so We'll see what happens with him. My guess is if he clears waivers, they'll assign him back to Tide to uh, Tidewater. Listen to me. To uh, Las Vegas. And he'll continue on from there, but he'll be off the 40-man roster. Much of like what they did with Philip Evans earlier in the winter time. When they uh, uh, let him go, he cleared waivers and then came back, and now he's been up and down and back on the 40-man roster, as a matter of fact. <laughs> so funny how that happens sometimes. Okay, let's see. Uh, what else? Uh, Todd Frazier is starting tonight in Vegas. He's going to play five innings in a rehab assignment. He's been on the disabled list since May 8th, took batting practice last week for the first time since suffering his injury before progressing to running. David Wright was playing catch in the outfield city field prior to tonight's game against the Cubbies. He had been hoping to begin baseball activity at the end of the month and is expected to transition to baseball activity within the next one to three weeks, Sandy Alderson said today. Uh, he hasn't played in two years and is has been a rough recovery road for Mr. Wright. And let's just hope that he can uh, can at least get back to make one more appearance and call it quits. Uh, we'll see how that's going to pan out. But he is certainly uh, giving it his all to try to Make something happy. Uh, Sandy Olison talked to the press today, and uh, it seemed that there's some frustration coming out in S Scrappy Sandy over some of these injuries that uh, the Mets are accumulating. They changed the medical staff, thinking that might have something to do with it, and, and yet the injuries still continue to mount. I don't know what the answer is. I think uh, some of it could be age. Some of it could be uh, overemphasis on certain things. Nobody knows. But uh, I think this, this team really needs to look in the mirror, this organization, and uh, look hard at its philosophy because I think they're going in the wrong direction philosophy-wise. I think they need to get players uh, that are more well-rounded. They're not developed enough in the minors. Uh, a guy like Rosario can't bunt. He's learning how to steal bases on a major league level. That should be stuff that's taught in the minor leagues. And they just don't seem to be teaching that stuff here. And it could be everywhere. It's it's probably unfair to blame just the Mets, but, hey, that's who we watch. That's who we follow. And uh just doesn't seem like the development is there of these guys. They come up, they're still raw. And you want them to be a little raw, but you want them to have a little polish as well. They should be able to do basics well. And we don't always see that with the Mets. And that's one thing I think they have to look into. They have to do better with their drafting. That's one reason why they brought back Omar Minaya. He has a good eye for talent. Hopefully he'll find some diamond in the rough, perhaps, in this draft. But... Uh, they have to get better at these things. That's the only way they're going to build the farm system up and, uh, you know, 
keep this team going forward instead of staggering around like they have been uh, this year so far and certainly last year with the injuries and whatnot. So we'll have to wait and see. Going to take a break here. Got a great guest on. I uh, interviewed him last evening, so you'll see a completely different change of clothes. Uh, but he's going to be on next. He's going to. His name is Brett Tapel. He's been on this book uh, show before. He's got a great book, new book out, and you're going to enjoy it. But first, let's take a break and listen to these great messages. Looking for great Cardinals talk? Then check out Conversations with C70. My name is Daniel Shoftaw, and I talk with some of the great bloggers on the Internet today about their teams. But it always goes back to the Cardinals. Find the latest episode on my website, www.cardinal70.com or at baseballpodcast.net. Did you know that Baseball PhD can be heard on BaseballTalkRadio.com? Our shows rotate with other top baseball podcasts. Now don't forget, that's BaseballTalkRadio.com. With us, we'll help you get a PhD in life through baseball. With BaseballTalkRadio.com, you'll hear the rest of the excellent universe of baseball podcasts. 516-619-6341. That is the comment voicemail hotline if you'd like to be a part of the show. And drop us a line, leave us a comment or a voicemail, question, anything at all. Call that number, 516-619-6341. Or go to MetsMusings.com and click on that widget in the middle of the screen, and that's a speak pipe, and you can leave a voicemail right through your computer through your computer's microphone. Or if you prefer to do things the old-fashioned way, send us an email at MetsMusings at gmail.com. The Facebook page is facebook.com slash groups slash Mets Musings and the Twitter handle is at Mets Musings 1. With all the Mets news, it is the news from around the world and around the corner. Here's Gary Mack. Joining me this evening is an author. He's an author of three books and he's got a new book coming out, so we'll say it's four. But he wrote, So You Think You're a New York Mets Fan, Stars, Stats, Records, and Memories for True Diehards. Also wrote, When Shea Was Home, the story of the 1975 Mets, Yankees, Giants, and Jets. And simply the best, the story of the 1929-31 Philadelphia Athletics Dynasty. And he's got this book coming out very soon, next week, I believe. It's Miracle Moments in New York Mets History. He is Brett Topel and... Brett, welcome back to Mets Musings. Gary, thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. Uh, Brett, uh, we were talking before we started recording here, and uh, you mentioned this is your third book in the last couple of years, and uh, you've really been on a fever pitch writing lately. Yeah, well, thank you. Yes, it's, this is the... This, this is the third in three years. Uh, as you mentioned, when Shea was home, came out uh, two years ago, and last year. Um, so you think you're a New York Mets fan, which was a, a trivia book, and and uh, and now this one, which is, uh, you know, uh, in one of the series in sports publishers. So you think you're a blank? I'm sorry, that's last year. So it's Miracle Moments in Blank History, and this one is Miracle Moments in New York Mets History, and it was it was really an honor to be able to write this book. Now, were you asked to write this, or did you come with the idea, or how did that all come together? Yeah, no, I was actually asked by my editor um, at at, uh, at Sports Publishers. Um, they had, you know, the the Mets trivia book from last year was was a part of a series, uh, and as was this. And uh, to be honest with you, Gary, I, I wasn't planning on writing a book, uh, you know, after the Mets trivia book, at least for a little while. Um, that you know, that one was the second book in two years, and uh, I kind of wanted a break, but. You know, uh, I was fortunate enough uh, to be asked to write this book. And, you know, if you're asked to write a book, at least for me, you know, the chronicles, you know, the top moments in Mets history, and obviously I, I'm a Mets fan, I grew up a Mets fan, you know, it's a hard thing to say no to. And, uh, you know, they were going to have this book uh, come out, whether I wrote it or not, and I figured this, this was an opportunity that was too good to pass up. So, uh, so I, I accepted and uh, really very proud of the results. 
Yeah, you know, you could have had an ex, uh, a non-Met fan write the book. So better than a Met fan writes this book. Well, I, I appreciate that. Although these days, is uh, even the most ardent Mets fan has to have uh, nerves of steel. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Uh, now, Brett, you you broke this book up into uh, thirty-one moments. Uh, I, you know, any specific reason why thirty-one? I can yeah, think. So I, there's, there's a line early in the book, and, and I'm sure you saw it, and you're, you're, you're giving me a, a softball to start with, so obviously it's Piazza's number, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a line early in the book that says, if you don't know why I chose 31 moments, you should stop reading right now, and of course I've, I've had some very good friends, and including Met fans, that said, I don't understand, why is it 31? So then I realized not everybody knows everybody's <laughs> uniform number, despite the fact that Piazza's is hanging high above City Field, uh, retired, but uh, yeah, you know, Piazza's somebody who, who I've always considered to be just you know the, you know one of my all-time favorite players mm-hmm. and uh, I thought it would be a good way uh, a good number and it actually worked out pretty well uh, although we added a few bonus ones we snuck a few bonus ones at the end after the 31 but you know it, number 34 wasn't as uh, enticing as 31 <laughs> well it would have been awkward too to have uh you know, like eight. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, yes, I know. And as, as us Mets fans tend to have to take from uh, from various Yankee fans, when you tell them you're, mo- you're writing a book called Miracle Moments in New York Mets History, they, they say, oh, that, that sounds like it's going to be a small flyer. So um, <laughs> I'm proud to say that I, I had 31 and I could have kept going, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pleased with the 31 we ended up with. Yeah, and it's, it's very interesting. You, you've laid it out in chronological order and uh, broke it up into uh, a regular season and some postseason moments and I don't want to give everything away about the book but it's it's uh, uh, really uh, I urge people to get it because it is a, a great book and you know there's a, there's a bunch of books that are coming out now I'm sure you know that a lot of competition uh, the Keith Hernandez book is out the Davy Johnson book but this is a book that you can uh, pick up and read and put down and switch around in chapters, and and you don't have to, uh, uh, you know, it, it's uh, it's a nice relaxing read. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I really kind of I tried. I set out to write a book that I would want to read as a Met fan, uh, and that's you know kind of always what is my philosophy. You know, it's I don't I, I like the idea, and in in many ways uh, the trivia book was like this last year as well. But I I was able to tell thirty one. Uh, short stories in this book, um, obviously being all tied together with the fact that it's the Mets and it's the Mets history and certain chapters are intertwined, certainly, um, you know, whether it's, you know, the 86 playoffs into the 86 World Series uh, and so on and so forth. But you, as you said, if you just want to sit down by the pool or by the beach or wherever you are, and you can kind of pick and choose your chapters depending on the moments that you uh, that you wanted to read about. It's not the kind of book that you necessarily have to sit down and read from from A to Z. Yeah, and that's what's so great about it, though, because it is that, and you can just look and see. Oh, yeah, let me read that and get a different, you know, a different uh, viewpoint on it, and. Uh, I also like the fact that you included some of the radio and television calls in that. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so that that actually came to me early in the in the writing process. I had I had researched the book and I got to you know um, among the the people I talked to, you know, I got to speak to Howie Rose and and Steve Gelbs and Ed Randall, um, you know, certainly broadcasters, uh, you know, and to me the radio and TV calls really become almost as big as the moment itself uh, in many ways. You know, we remember, you know, Vince Scully's call of the ball going down, uh, you know, toward Buckner, and, and some of us also remember Bob Murphy's call of that. But it's, it's ingra- those calls are ingrained in us. So I really wanted that to be a part of the book. So almost every chapter has, you know, the radio or television play-by-play call included in it because, to me, that is – you know, in essence, how we remember a lot of these moments, you know, uh, if, whether it's Andy Chavez, you know, leaping over the wall and remembering Gary Cohen's, you know, screaming, he made the catch, or, you know, um, uh, Howie Rose on Piazza's post-9-11 home run saying, this one's got a chance. It, it, we, kind of, we tend to remember the calls, and the Mets announcers, and, and I, I'm sure maybe Yankee fans and, and other sports t- fans feel this is w- way as well, but because 
the same three gentlemen called Mets games for so many years, Ralph Kiner, Bob Murphy, and Lindsey Nelson. And, and you heard those people's voices, you know, as much as you've heard anybody's voices. And then more recently on the radio with, with obviously uh, Howie and Josh and on TV with Gary, Keith, and Ron. And I think that becomes, you know, part of the, part of the soundtrack of baseball. And I wanted to uh, kind of pay homage to that. It's it's so true, you know. Uh, you, you, I can remember uh, when I was younger, you're walking down the beach and you're just going from transistor radio to transmis- transistor radio, uh, hearing Bob Murphy call the game or Lindsey Nelson. Because in those days, if you remember in the early days, they used to do both. They would switch TV and radio, and so you'd get the uh, you'd get both all three of those guys on and. Uh, just a, just a, an amazing thing, and I think it's a nice touch for the book because that's, as you say, that's sometimes you remember that. I mean, one of the, my favorite moments is Bob Murphy in that game against, I, I'm not as good as dates and all of that, against Philadelphia where they had like a 10 nothing lead, and uh, Philadelphia came back and the game ended on a line drive, and Murphy said at the end they win the damn thing. Because uh, yes. he was so frustrated by the whole, I guess, because uh, the game went, you know, had this big lead, took everybody out, and then the Phillies started coming back. And that's one of my favorite calls of all time. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and Murph, Murph lived, never lived that one down because he was not a man who would say damn very much on a, <laughs> on a broadcast. Nobody would, and, and especially not Murph. And, um, but it's, it's, it's certainly an endearing uh, moment. And, uh yeah, I think, and I think the the thing about the Mets, whether it's TV and Gary Cohen doing play by play, or radio with Howie Rose doing play by play, you have two men who grew up as Mets fans, possibly as big a Mets fans as anybody who's watching. So you kind of feel that they get it, and they 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 you know live and die by the same you know wins and losses that that the rest of the fans do. So you know, it's too, I think the Mets are extremely lucky to have two very knowledgeable and and really. You know, people who respect the team and its team's history. Yeah, and 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 they're easy to listen to too, and and they uh, have a good time. Even it's even though it's very difficult at this particular time, but uh, you can tell they 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 love what they do, and they're having a great time doing it. Absolutely. Now, um, the uh, the stories. Um, how did you uh, decide on what you? put in um how did that all come about you know the, the choosing of the moments and obviously the order was chronological so we don't have to get into that but uh how did you decide what to pick because there's a couple in there that that are a little uh different if you would and uh i was just interested in to know how did you come about and pick out these particular 31 moments Sure, it's a great question, and I think when, when I first agreed to to do the book, you know, they asked me to submit a list mm-hmm. of of moments that I thought, and we hadn't really settled on thirty one at that point, so we were just kind of going back and forth. And um, you know, I've worked with a couple of really good editors in the, uh, at, at uh, sports publishing, Julie Gans, who was my editor on this book and on the Shea book, and and uh, and uh, another gentleman, Ken Samuelson, uh, who helped me, with, who edited my Mets trivia book. So the three of us kind of went back and forth, and. You know, they had made some suggestions that I hadn't thought of. And, and like you said, there's a few that are off the beaten path that you, you might say, all right, well, this is not really the, a miraculous moment, but, uh, you know, is a moment. You know, one of them that actually I did not think of, um, uh, you know, off in my initial list, but they did, and I was actually really happy with the, the chapter, was uh, Willie Mays returning mm-hmm. uh, and hitting a home run in his first game against the San Francisco Giants of all teams. Right. So, um, you know, that's not a moment I don't think the Mets fans consider a miraculous moment in, in team history, but it certainly was a memorable moment, and, you know, um, uh, unfortunately, I didn't, wasn't able to, to interview Willie Mays about that moment, but I was able to talk to John Matlack and, and, and get a feeling of, get, you know, his feelings as a young pitcher, what it was like to have, uh, you know, one of the greatest players to ever live, you know, come to the Mets and, and Homer in his first game back. So, yeah, there was a lot of back and forth, but there was really, there was no arguing. I think we were all uh, pretty happy with the, the moments we ended up with. Yeah, they're all very interesting, and and uh, I mean, you know, there's some uh, some of the obvious ones that they're fans. Don't worry about that. The uh, uh, Johan Santana no hitter, the winning, you know, uh, in '86, and all of that kind of stuff. But um, I, I like uh, the, 
you know, a lot of people don't remember Willie Mays coming back, and and that was one thing I remember, and it was interesting to uh, see another viewpoint on it. And uh, you've got uh, Degrom making the All Star team, and the inning that he had in the All Star game that year, and lots of other fine moments like that. So um, it's it's really uh, did you do a lot? Have to do a lot of research for the book and go back. And uh, you said you did interview some former players and whatnot. Uh, take us. A through the process a little bit. Sure. Well, to me, the, you know, a lot of these moments have been spoken about many times. So for what I try to do whenever I, I, and I try to do this with the trivia book as well, but it's especially this book, you know, I try to, to give it a, a fresh spin. And, and by doing, you know, the only way to do that is to really speak to, you know, people who either played in the game or reported the game or announced the game. And, and you know, of course, you don't, of all 31 chapters, I wasn't able to do that. But I was able to speak to former players from from each you know uh, important time, in other words, so I, I was able to speak to Jay Hook, uh, who won the first ever Met. Um, I was able to speak to John Matlack and Jerry Kuzman and Howard Johnson and uh, guys who were who lived through the moments and were really able to give me you know firsthand accounts and maybe also able to tell some new stories, even though the moment might be thirty or forty years old. But you know, Jerry Kuzman gave me some great stuff about you know the moment, the, the last play of the Mets winning the World Series in 1969. Some stories I had never heard before. Um, you know, as, as he was waiting for the the ball to to, to nestle out into the glove for the. <laughs> final out. So, um, you know, what I try to do is get as much, you know, new material as I can, combine that with um, research of old newspaper clippings that maybe haven't been seen in many, many years. Um, you know, uh, the good news about writing books today is that, you know, you have an online archive, uh, which goes back, you know, to any day you need. You could basically get a copy of whatever newspaper you need. So, um, but a lot of those you know, papers haven't been seen since the 60s or 70s or 80s. And, you know, we're talking 30, 40, 50 years. And I think any fresh or, you know, first-hand accounts really bring the, the book to life. And that's what I really tried to accomplish. Well, going in line with that, uh, uh, speaking to Jay Hook, uh, you mentioned it, that one of his 13 grandchildren is uh, living in New York now and is a Met fan and, and uh, said that uh, you... Well, I'll let you ex you say it. Uh, what she said to her grandfather. Yeah, I, I think uh, you know she was basically saying how cool it was that he. Uh, you know, it was really at the end of a, one of at the end of a very very good conversation I had with Jay. He's just such such a gentleman, and you know, told a, a couple of story a couple of stories that did not have anything to do with you know the first win. And, and in fact, uh, in the acknowledgments, I, I have a whole little section about. Uh, some interaction he had with uh, with famed sports writer uh, Robert Lipsight and and Casey Stangle, and uh, so I, I tell some more Jay Hook stories towards the end of the book. But he was basically saying that one of his his grandchildren, you know, said you know how cool it was that she was living in New York and she's a Mets fan, and that to know that that he won the first ever game uh, for the team, and that it really you know gave it start you know it was it was the, the legacy. So um, you know. It, it, from the very beginning, the very first win, that still felt very strongly in, in his family. And, you know, not a lot of Met fans today, certainly young Met fans, would not know, not only not know the name Jay Hook, they wouldn't know if Jay Hook was sitting next to them at City Field. But I think that's why these kind of books are, are good, because, you know, in the same book, you have Jay Hook talking about the first win he's, you know, ever for the Mets, and you have Bartolo Colon hitting a home run in San Diego. So, you know, this, it's, it really. It, 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 it fills the gamut of, uh, you know, of all different kind of moments. And, uh, and Jay was just one of m many special people I got to talk to. And, and it gives a, a history of the team that, that, as you say, a lot of the young fans don't know about. And, and yet it's, it's not a long, drawn-out, uh, you know, uh, history book on the Mets. It's, it's uh, concise, it's well done, easy to read, and, and uh, gives you a lot of things. And, and uh, Jay Hook, I, you know, I can remember him like it was yesterday, but... 
<laughs> I'm yeah, an but, old guy. But you, not, 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 too many, not too many young Mets fans remember him. Thing. And, you know, <laughs> it's a shame, really, because, you know, as, as we talked about, for his, you know, his, about his granddaughter, what she said is he really is, you know, Mets history. You sure. Know? And I, I, the, the sad thing is, you know, I, I, I'm friends with a bunch of Mets fans that are, that are, you know, on the younger side, I would say, as, as we all get on the older side, they're on the younger side. <laughs> but they don't remember, forget about the 60s and 70s. I mean, 1986 was, you know, 30 plus years ago. So right. it's, uh, it's uh, as painful as that sounds. Um, you know, it's, it's generational. And t- to me, if you root for the blue and orange, it's important to know what came before. You know, what came before mm-hmm. Cespedes and all these, these players that we have today. And, you know, whether you talk about Hojo and, and Keith and Gary and the, the 86 guys and, or, or the 69 team, I mean, the Mets, you know, it's basically been, what, 69, 73, 86, 2000, you know, uh, 06, a little bit almost, and then 15. Right. But there's been so many moments in between that didn't end up in World Series berths, um, and I think those moments are important as well. It is. It's, it's important to any team, I think, and, and you can't lose that. And, of course, um, when, they, when uh, the Mets moved to City Field, there was that big criticism that they weren't really embracing the history, and I, I think they're trying to do a little bit better with that, but I still think they have a long way to go. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the problem is that history happens over time, right? So I think mm-hmm. the 2015 season went a long way in making City Field like – the Mets true stadium. And I right. think that people sort of identify that now. Mm-hmm. Um, the first several years, City Field was open. I had a, I personally had a really hard time. Um, and, and, and by the way, let me preface that by saying I wanted a new stadium more than anybody <laughs> wanted a new stadium. And I wanted to get rid of Shea Stadium. And of course, as soon as Shea Stadium got knocked down, you start missing Shea Stadium. Right. But, but, but we, I mean, listen, you only have to be at a game at City Field for about five minutes uh, and remember that there was uh, nothing but hot dogs and peanuts at Shea Stadium to, uh, and, and some nice Mama Corona's sandwiches in the back uh, behind home plate. But if you were in, you know, the mezzanine or the upper deck, there was nothing at City at Shea Stadium. So there's no comparison of the stadiums, obviously. But from a historical point of view, you know, you have to make history in that stadium. And I think... You know, 2015 went a, a, a short way in doing that, and of course Santana pitched a no hitter there. Um, but you know, most of the moments that were that are in this book either happened at Shea Stadium or happened when the Mets, you know, were playing uh, their home games at Shea Stadium because you know most of their history was obviously at Shea right, Stadium. Right. But I think that'll happen. I think City Field, you know, is, listen, it's our home. It's going to be our home forever now at this point uh, until the next stadium is built in however many years. And um, I don't have as much problem going to the games now as I did when City Field first opened. I think they went a long way um, in uh, in improving the stadium, and uh, I, I certainly think the Mets fans call it home. I agree. I, I uh, think uh, the the addition of the Hall of Fame and the banners around and stuff really went a long way to make it feel more homey there than than it did in the beginning. But uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of nostalgia for Shea Stadium as well. Yeah, there's no question about that, but I mean, it's, and I, and I think I'm very happy, actually, um, and you and I may have spoken about this in the past, but I'm happy that, that Shea Stadium has nostalgia now, because I think, you know, the last few years of Shea Stadium, there was, there was nothing but people wanting to get out of there as quick as possible, and of course, as City Field started to kind of grow out in left center field, everybody started getting excited that finally Shea Stadium would be gone, and then... And then, like I said, Shea Stadium gets knocked down, and uh, at least for me, you have this, this, this feeling in the pit of your stomach, like, oh, my God, I, I lost a piece of my childhood yeah. because, um, you know, I, I can't even tell you. I, I have a few moments at City Field that, I, that have been memorable, but, I, I mean, I have dozens of moments, obviously, at Shea Stadium that uh, I remember that, I, you know, we, whether it was with friends or, or my dad or, my, you know, my parents. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, you know, the generation of Mets fans that's coming, Mets fan that's coming up now, will certainly have that same. Hopefully, have those same moments at at City Field. But yeah, I think I'm happy that Shea Stadium is remembered fondly, as opposed to some other stadiums that have that have gone away in recent years. And uh, you know, it was just its time. I mean, Shea Stadium was outdated, you know, by the by the mid 70s, and it was only built in 1964. So it was not really a stadium built to endure, although it actually was a stadium built to endure <laughs> and be a multi uh, sports. Stadium, but it just wasn't. It wasn't what it didn't end up. What it was intended to be, and uh, I'm happy people look back on it fondly. But I'm also happy that we're in a new stadium. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's it's uh, so much more 
nicer to be there. Uh, just a, it's a it's a lovely atmosphere. But as you say, you know, it, it was our childhood being at Chase Stadium, and it does feel like some of that's missing. Now, of all these moments that you wrote about, which is uh, one of your favorites? Great question. It's a good question, a hard question. One of the one of the moments I got to write about um, is one of my all time favorite moments ever in Shea Stadium, and that uh, happened to be Todd Pratt's home run against Matt Manti uh, to win the series against Arizona. Because I that was personally, and I've been at, I wasn't at Game Six in '86, and I wasn't uh, at a lot of other big games at Shea Stadium. But to me, that was the loudest I had ever heard Shea Stadium, and I think. The reason it was so loud, or that I remembered it being so loud, is remember when Steve Finley jumped for the ball, no one knew if he caught it or not for a split second. And so the stadium went silent and then erupted. And Mm -hmm. to me, that's always been one of my favorite Met moments. I have have a picture in my office uh, of Todd Pratt, you know, rounding rounding the bases, pumping his fist. I have my ticket stub in that picture frame uh, with the photo. So that's that's certainly a moment that that I remember uh, fondly. So I enjoyed writing about that. Um, and, and then one of the moments that I really really enjoyed writing about was um, was the '86 Game Six, and not because now it's probably without a doubt the most talked about Mets moment. You know, the Mookie Wilson's ground ball going through Bill Buckner, and how could you possibly put a fresh slant on that, but, you know, Howard Johnson was on deck that, that, at that moment, and he had a better view than anybody in the world. It, it, you know, there was only 55,000 people there, but if you speak to 90,000, they were there for that game six. <laughs> yeah. But Howard Johnson was on deck. There's nobody who had a better view of the ball rolling down the line than Howard Johnson. And being able to, to speak to Hojo about that, and then actually being able to ask him, it's a question I always wanted to ask him, and I, I, quite frankly, I wasn't sure if he was going to want to give me an answer, was that if you know, a lot of people say that Mookie would have beaten, the, beaten Buckner to the bag anyway. But if, Buck, if Mookie was safe at first, Ray Knight wouldn't have been able to score. He would have had to stop at third. So it would have been first and third, and Hojo would have been up. And I asked him, have you ever let yourself go to a place um, where you, know, you could visualize, visualize that at bat? And I kind of expected him to say, "Now, nah, you know, once we won, it was that was." But he gave me a very different answer, and and I know you read the book, so you, you know it. But he he basically said, "Yeah, no, I've I've I faced Mike Torres many times. I'm sorry, Bob Stanley, but many times, and uh, I visualized that at bat, and I knew what I was going to do. I knew what I was going to what pitches I was going to get from him, and gave me just a real, you know, fun, interesting answer to a question that I wasn't sure what kind of an answer I was going to get. So that chapter." Um, that chapter got very long very fast. You know, one of the things I take a great amount of pride in this book is that, as you mentioned, and, and I appreciate it, you know, these chapters are short, manageable, easy to read, easy to digest chapters. That one got long fast because Hotel just gave me such great stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, I, uh, contrary to that, I got to speak to Ed Randall, who was covering the game for Major League Baseball. At that very moment, while Howard Johnson had the best seat in the house, Ed Randall was down in the Jets locker room watching on a three-inch color TV <laughs> because that's where reporters were at that moment. So he obviously had the worst seat in the house. So being able to kind of transpose those two, uh, or, or I guess uh, compare those two opinions and, and uh, interviews really uh, made that for a fun chapter. And uh, what moment was the most difficult to write? You know... Difficult in that it was hard to to dredge up, or just yeah. as far as is the actual mechanics of it. Yeah, just just a combination of both. Well, I think that the answer to that is uh, to write about the two the 2015 playoff run because I think there's a couple of moments in Mets history and, and that I chronicle in this book that Mets fans don't really know how to. Mm, consume in a positive way, right? We have Andy Chavez's catch, which is a great moment, but obviously that game didn't end well. Mm-hmm. We have, uh, you know, Robin Ventura's Grand Slam single, but obviously the next game, things didn't work out well, thanks to, you know, Kenny Rogers' bases loaded walk at the end. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think the one that I had the hardest time trying to wrap my head around was the 2015 run, uh, because Daniel Murphy was such a, a big part of that run. And obviously the Mets don't make it to the World Series, uh, in 2015, if it's not for Daniel Murphy, that's not even uh, debatable. You know, mm-hmm. if Daniel Murphy's not on the Mets in 2015, they don't go to the World Series. But yet now, Daniel Murphy is viewed as you know an arch enemy, playing not only playing for the Washington Nationals, who are uh, have beat up on the Mets the last several years, but play or oh, last couple of years, but playing 
at a level against the Mets that is absolutely insane. Of course, he's been out all year injured, but you know the two years that he that he played against the Mets, uh, sixteen and seventeen, and so I think. And I asked Steve Gelbs about this, who, I, who was really very, you know, honest about it. He said, "Listen, you know, I think that the Mets fans should be." proud that, of what Dan, Daniel Murphy did for them, and what he's done since then is just, you know, ridiculously amazing, but I think that, I think we're trying to wrap your head around the Dan, Daniel Murphy situation, and because, also because it's so fresh, you know, it's not something that happened 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, right. it happened yeah. very recently, and it's continuing to happen, you know, I don't think any of us have a doubt that when Daniel Murphy gets back, he's going to do something bad against the Mets, uh, for the Mets fans, uh, good for him, bad for the Mets fans, yeah. and, um, you know, I think it's hard to come to terms with that because of how important he was and how much, you know, I think Mets fans would have loved for him to be a superhero forever thanks to 2015. Well, Brett, it's a terrific book and, uh, you know, all the best on it. And you're going to be making some appearances. So tell us about that. Yeah, no, thank you so much. Uh, my first appearance, we're going to have a book launch event, actually a, a book review in Huntington, where I've, I've seen you many times, and mm-hmm. hopefully you'll be able to make it out. It's, it's this coming Monday, June 4th at 7 p.m., and uh, it is the official launch of the book. Um, and uh, that's, that's, you know, what, my first event. And then I'm going to have another one on June 19th at uh, Turn of the Corkscrew Books and Wine, a really cool little bookstore in Rockville Center. So if anybody is in that area. I would love to see you at that event. But uh, first, it's, uh, it's Monday, June 4th at Book Review at 7 p.m. And uh, I don't think I'll have as many people as Keith had for his event uh, a couple <laughs> weeks ago. But if, uh, if Mets fans turn out, I'll be very happy. Well, if you get a quarter of the amount that Keith had, you'd be doing uh, pretty good. Uh, <laughs> Let me tell you something. I, 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 I did not see you there. I don't know if you were there. I happened to stop by. It, the amount of people for for who, for Keith and good for Keith. I mean, listen, uh, I have not read Keith's book yet. I've read about half of it, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he, the crowd he got, uh, any author uh, would be envious of. But you know, his, the title of his of his book is "I'm Keith Hernandez," mm-hmm. and. Obviously, I can't state that, so I'm not <laughs> Keith Hernandez. But uh, but I did I did write a lot about him in this book, though. If that makes any if it makes it any better. There you go. <laughs> well, Brett, I want to thank you once again for coming on, and it's always a great pleasure to talk to you. Gary, listen, I can't thank you enough. It's an honor and a, a really always a pleasure to be on your show. Uh, keep doing what you're doing because uh, all Mets fans really appreciate Mets musings. Thank you so much. Miracle moments in New York Mets history. Brett Topel. Check it out. Buy it. It's terrific uh, read. And I'll be back right after this. Baseball and BBQ, your place for interesting baseball talk, opinions, and history. Baseball and BBQ, your place for barbecue recipes, tips, and interviews from the world of barbecue. If you like baseball and if you like barbecue, then tune in to Baseball and BBQ. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and BaseballTalkRadio.com, along with Mets Musings and other great baseball podcasts. Uh, This is Skip Lockwood, and you're listening to Mets Musings. Hey, baseball fans and book fans as well. This is Frank Nappy, author of the Legend of Mickey Tussler series, inviting all of you to learn more about my protagonist, Mickey Tussler, an incredible pitching prodigy who has autism. Follow Mickey's journey as he captures the hearts of fans everywhere with his blazing fastball and indomitable spirit. Please visit Amazon or www.franknappy.com for more information. Hi, this is the world-famous Mr. Brewtown of BrewtownSports.Potomatic.com. You know, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. Plus. Uh, Brewtown Sports, you can also listen to the show at Stitcher.com, TuneIn.com, and iTunes.com. And we've got the new one. It's called BrewtownRadio.Webley.com, but the one that I'm most proud of being on is BaseballPodcast.net. It is the home of great baseball talk shows. Check it out, my show and all kinds of other programs all about Major League Baseball. So check it out. That's BaseballPodcast.net, the home for great baseball talk shows. And we are back, and uh, what a great interview with uh, Brett Tupel and pick up the book, Miracle Moments, New York Mets History. Check it out, and uh, you got the dates. He's going to be in Huntington on the, uh, I forget the dates myself now, 
Well, it's on the, sh- the interview, so you already know it. Uh, but go check it out in Huntington and Rockville Center. He'll be at the turn of the corkscrew on the 19th, I believe it is. So uh, it's a great book. I really had a great time reading it. It's a nice, easy read. So perfect for the summer and perfect for baseball. Time to go down on the farm. Uh, 51's lost last night, 8-3, to 8-5 to, to the Reno Aces. The 51's had a lot of chances but blew most of them, going just 4 for 21 with runners in scoring position. Down 5-1 in the 6th, they manufactured a few runs on an RBI ground out from Jose Lobaton and Patrick Biondi, as well as a sack fly from Matt Dendeka. And an RBI single by Zach Bornstein, but it wasn't enough. Aaron Laffey did not fare well in his second start with the 51s. His control was fine, and he was around the strike zone, but he got hit hard and didn't overpower anyone, collecting only two strikeouts. So Reno defeats the uh, 51s 8-5. Binghamton beat the Erie Seawolves 7-3 in 11 innings. Levi Michael, Peter Alonzo, Kevin Taylor all drove in runs in Binghamton's big five-run 11th inning to send the Rumble Ponies to a 7-3 victory over the Erie Seawolves on Wednesday night at UPMC Park. Thrust into duty on short notice, Mickey Janis tossed seven strong innings while three pony relievers combined for four innings of near-spotless relief to seal Binghamton's sixth win in seven tries. Jupiter beat St. Lucie 7-1. St. Lucie pitchers struggled all night, starting with the 24-year-old Gary Cornish. In his fifth start of the year for St. Lucie, Cornish was hit around for four earned runs in his first two innings of work. Relievers didn't fare much better. They got knocked around, and the, uh, the offense was very quiet. The lone run of the night for St. Lucie came in the eighth inning as a result of a throwing error by Jupiter with Andre Jimenez on second and Desmond Lindsay on first. Luis Carpio grounded into a force out at second base. Andres Jimenez advanced to third and then scored on the throw. And Columbia beat Charleston 2-1. to one. Columbia starting pitcher Tony DeBrell had a solid outing, allowing only one earned run. Over six and one-third innings, DeBrell has now allowed two earned runs or fewer in five of his last six starts, dropping his ERA to 3.88 for the year. Columbia offense struggled to find consistency throughout the night. Usual contributors Blake Tiberi and Jeremy Vasquez continued to lead the Fireflies offense. And uh, Wilma Becerra had two hits in the game, but he's yet to walk or get an extra base hit in eight games for Columbia. Uh, We had some moves going on with all the moves at the major league level. There was also a lot of movies, moves at the minor league level as teams need to uh, replace people that are going up or whatever uh, moved around. So in some of the moves in the minors this week, Ryder Ryan, who came over on the Jay Bruce trade has been promoted from St. Lucie to Binghamton. Cap catcher Tomas Nito has been assigned to Binghamton with Ploiecki coming back. Right-handed pitchers Joseph Zangi and left-handed pitcher Blake Taylor have been assigned to St. Lucie. Finally, right-handed pitcher Eric Hanhold, who came over in the Neil Walker trade, has been promoted from Binghamton to Las Vegas. And the Columbia Fireflies left-handed pitcher Aaron Ward has been recognized as the Columbia Fireflies Pitcher of the Week, and he got the BC Powder Relief Pitcher of the Month, excuse me, Pitcher of the Month, for the month of May, the team announced on Wednesday. Ford appeared in seven games in May, pitching to a 2.79 ERA in nine and two-thirds innings. He faced 37 batters and allowed nine hits, only three of which went for extra bases. He surrendered three earned runs while holding opposing batters to a .595 OPS. He has yet to surrender a single walk or home run in the month of May and struck out nine. So congratulations to Aaron Ford on a great month of May and getting that award. 
Uh, Betsy Halifin of the Las Vegas Review Journal reports that New York Mets right-handed pitcher Andrew Church has retired. Church 23 was the Mets 2013 second round draft pick from Basic High School in Henderson, Nevada. Nevada, he would make the final two two appearances of his professional career in his home state of Nevada for the 51s. His last career came in his penultimate appearance. Church's best season was 2016 when he was 7 and 4 with a 2.92 ERA for Columbia, St. Lucie and Las Vegas. Unfortunately, Church was not able to replicate the success in future seasons. Even with Church being unable to replicate his career year, his retirement is a big surprise. At the moment, there has been no explanation for uh, for his decision. And uh, finally tonight, Monday, is the MLB Amateur Draft. The Mets have the sixth pick of the draft. And my good friend uh, Jeff from Long Island says they should go with a kid from Florida, third baseman Jonathan India. He has been linked to the Mets in a couple of the mock drafts. Joey Bart, a catcher from Georgia Tech, is another possibility, though some drafts have him going as high as number two. Alex Bohm, another third baseman from Wichita State, has also been talked about. But it's anybody's guess who will be uh, left when the Mets pick. However, they should concentrate on getting some bats this time, some offensive players. They have a good core of arms. They have the next wave of arms, if you will, is at... Columbia and St. Lucie. So they're a couple of years away, but they have quite a few there. Anthony Kay, Justin Dunn, uh, uh, David Peterson, and uh, Thomas Zapucki, who is recovering from Tommy John surgery, but he'll be coming back. And he was uh, ranked very high last year. So they need to start stockpiling outfielders and infielders that can hit. That's what this organization needs, and it seems to be a weakness of theirs that they never seem to be able to uh, to do that. So we'll see. Now with Omar Manaya back, hopefully he'll have a word or two to say about the draft and uh, be able to uh, push them in the right direction and get some uh, good ball players in here because they need to do something. Um, offense can be pitiful at times, and building uh, towards the future and building a team for today with pitching doesn't seem to work. You still need a good pitcher, and you can sprinkle them in there and add pitchers, but um, they went to get the whole five aces uh, thing, and as we see, it, it hasn't worked out. And it's just not a way to build a team in this day and age. And so we'll see where that takes us. Uh, four with the Cubbies this week, two with the uh, Orioles then, and three with the Yankees in this four, six, nine game homestand. So get out to the park, check it out, and uh, – an update on the scoring of tonight's game. It's 2-0 in the fifth. Uh, good old Hansel Replays gave up a two-run homer after Seth Lugo pitched four good innings. We'll be here again, though, to talk about it next week. And remember, try, try, try to keep the faith, stay optimistic, and let's go Mets.